the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Can't wait! Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Thank you to everyone who is making us part of your morning routine this morning, whether you are doing so on YouTube or on Facebook or over on Roku TV. Thanks to Northeast Streaming Sports. We are happy that you are making us part of your morning routine on this Monday morning. I am Chris and that is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? Doing great. Welcome, everybody, for, for jumping into the stream. Chris, ready to go. Well, we have a little theme today. The theme of our show, and I haven't told you this theme, so this, this, is, Mo's, this is Mo's first time hearing my theme of the show. But the theme of the show today is going to be acceptance. And it's going to be accepting who you are, even though there's always potential to grow and get better. But the theme of today's show is going to be acceptance. And we're going to start with Sunday Night Football. And we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And I don't say a lot of nice things about Buffalo, but I'm going to say this. Does Buffalo have the potential to make it to the Super Bowl? Of course they do, Mo. They absolutely have the potential to get there. They have the potential to have a top five offense. I think they have the potential to have a top five defense. But, Mo, we're past the halfway point of the season, and we're at the point in the NFL season where you look at teams, and now we start to see trends. And now we start to compile data, and we say, okay, this is who you are as opposed to it was a bad game or it was a rough matchup. And if you look at the Buffalo Bills, since they beat the Miami Dolphins and took uh, a tie for first place, in the AFC East, there have been some trends with them. Their trends are they struggle offensively consistently in the first half of football games. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes that struggle bleeds into the second half of football games. And it leads to losses or wins that are a lot closer than they should be. And we've seen that against four or five teams in a row And last night, it looked like, Mo, it wasn't going to be the case. Both of those teams came out on fire last night. The Bengals marched down the field on their first drive. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills put together, in my opinion, an even better drive on their first drive of the game. Allen completely slicing and dicing the Bengals' secondary, leading to a touchdown. The Bengals come back and do the same thing to Buffalo. They go up 14-7, to Mo, and you're like, okay, This is going to be like a 38-35 type of game. We're going to see a lot of offense tonight. And then the Bills offense went away. 37 yards the rest of the first half. 37. And yes, they figured it out a little bit in the second half. And they started stringing together longer drives in the second half. And they were down 14 at the half. and, And they made it a competitive game. But Mo, I'm ready to say that this is what Buffalo is. They are at best an inconsistent offensive team that is too reliant on Josh Allen. And there were moments, there were moments last night in that game, Mo, where he had throws that he didn't connect on. 
And there were moments in that game where I thought he ran a little too much. And when you are so, and I know it's a quarterback driven league. And I know that this, this kind of sounds ridiculous to say in a quarterback driven league, how can you be too reliant on your quarterback? Buffalo is that example because when you are as inconsistent as Josh Allen is, this isn't Patrick Mahomes. Kansas city is, I would say more reliant on Patrick Holmes than Buffalo might be on Josh Allen, or maybe, maybe it's the same, but they're right next to each other. The difference is, is that more times than not Mahomes gets you the win. Josh Allen, it's about 50, 50. And if you're looking specifically at this season, I would argue it's trending not in the direction you want it to trend in if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. And, Mo, that doesn't mean they're not a playoff team. That doesn't mean they're not still in contention to win the division because they are. But what that means is there's a clear distance now forming, I believe, between them and the upper echelon teams of the AFC, which at this point today, I would say are the Bengals and the Chiefs. And I think if you look at the Bengals and the Chiefs, and then you look at your next tier, that's where Buffalo is. I can't put Buffalo in the same tier as Kansas City and Cincinnati because they just haven't proven it, Mo. What are your thoughts? I think that the line that you came up with for the day or the theme, acceptance, it's pretty good because that's going to apply to a few teams um, that played Sunday, obviously. But more so with teams like Buffalo. We talk about the talent. We talk about how they have playmakers on both sides of the ball. But when I watched that game, I was thinking I was thinking something else. I thought, no, they're, they're really consistent. They're consistent on putting everything on Josh Allen. They constantly talk about developing a running game. They say our backs are good enough. And we don't need to go out and get a uh, a big name back. And yet they don't run the football with their running backs. Once again, Josh Allen is their leading rusher. He does everything. When you look at their offense, it's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, or bust. Because they don't he, – he, he spread the ball around really well the first drive. But when you look at the targets, it it it's just he, he locks in or one and two guys. And I get it. It's true. If you look at their receiving core as a whole, they don't have a lot of playmakers. But the, the thing about Buffalo is, or, or you can say this about any team. So you have runs, right? You, you're you in a certain zone. People call you a Super Bowl contender. Runs don't last but so long. And those opportunities to actually win a Super Bowl, they change because money becomes a problem. Guys become free agents. They move. It, your team literally evolves. I actually think Buffalo is descending from their peak. I'm not talking about Josh Allen as an individual player, but I'm talking about the team as a whole. I think they're descending because now we're looking at them like they're a playoff contender. Right. They'll probably make the playoffs, but we don't look at them as Super Bowl contenders. There are levels to this. And like you said, I don't think they're in the upper tier now. I look at a team as a whole, and I think they're slowly imploding as a whole, I, I don't view them as Super Bowl contenders. And I'm looking at Cincinnati. Look at the start that they had. We thought they were done, done. And we kept saying, if Joe Burrow can get healthy, things can turn around. And not only have they turned around for their offense, I was impressed with the Bengals' defense for the most part. Like, they were getting after Josh Allen, and they were being very physical uh, and, and the refs were allowing a lot of physicality with the wide receivers and DBs, and I was fine with it. Loved it. 
I think Joe Burrow inspires his teammates as a whole on both sides of the football. I'm looking at Buffalo, and I think there are more questions and answers. But for me, I, I think I think overall it's been answered. They're not a Super Bowl contender. And I, 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 that's bad news, Bills fan. And, and, and I'm not rooting against you. I got no dog in the fight in the AFC. I just don't think your football team is good enough right now in terms of the bigger picture. We talk about talent. We talk about balance. I don't think they have balance on either side of the football. And I'll give credit where credit is due. Josh Allen made an attempt to spread the ball out more last night. Uh, Stefan Diggs was not his most targeted receiver last night. It was his tight end, uh, Dalton Kincaid, who is emerging as a number two in that Bills offense, which, you know, for, for me, Mo, I, I don't care who the number two is. If there is a number two after Stefan Diggs, that's what Buffalo needs. And right. I think Kincaid is slowly stepping in to that role. Now, if, if you t- if you look at the box score from last night's game, and you didn't give me a score, and you just gave me stats, I would be happy with what I saw from Buffalo as far as the passing game goes. Because Josh Allen, although he, he ha- again, he, he has those turnovers in those moments where you're like, man, it's only the one pick, but it, it was big last night. But take the turnover out of there. You look, Diggs had seven targets. Kincaid had 11. So I'm happy that Diggs wasn't the focal point. I'm glad they got a number two option involved. And then it wasn't a complete drop off a cliff after that because Shakir had four targets, Cook had four targets. So with Buffalo, when you look at their receiving core and you're like, hey, four guys had four targets or more and Diggs wasn't the top targeted person, that's progress. That is stepping away from Allen to Diggs as the focal point, which hampers this team at times. But in the same token, mode, then you go and you look at the running game, like you said. They only ran the ball 16 times last night, and eight of those times were Josh Allen. And the other times were eight carries for 24 yards between Cook and Murray. And I, we hate to kick a dead horse, but the running game cannot just be Josh Allen. And if it's going to continue to just be Josh Allen, you're going to see situations like last night. He's going to be forced to throw the ball a little more. He's going to be forced to spread the ball around a little more. And it just isn't going to always go the way he wants it to go against a good team to a great team like Cincinnati. And I think that if this was not Cincinnati last night, Mo, if this was a middle of the pack AFC team, Buffalo probably wins this game. But when you're playing one of the better teams in the league and you're playing a quarterback, the caliber of Joe Burrow on the other side, You have to give your best performance to win those games. And that's another thing we're going to talk about here today with a handful of teams is that playing good against other good to great teams isn't always enough. If you want to beat the good to great teams, you have to play good to great yourself. And that's not what Buffalo did last night. And Mo, let's jump to the other side real quick. Talking about Cincinnati, Bengal fans, you were saying the entire time, we're fine. Stop talking about us. Leave us alone. I get it. We're last in the division. It's annoying right now. We're we're okay. Don't worry about us. Well, here we are after week nine, Mo. They're okay. I mean, if you look at the box score from last night, Chase wasn't even the most targeted receiver, nor did he have even close to the best night. He was fourth as far as receiving yards. Higgins went off last night. 
eight for 110 on nine targets. Uh, Boyd had a huge catch uh, in the first quarter that set up a touchdown drive. Uh, he he out yardaged Chase last night. Uh, the tight end had more yards than Jamar Chase did last night. And that's the point, isn't it, Mo? The point is with the Bengals, and I know things are going to get dicey next season because Higgins probably won't be there, but we'll talk about next season next season. Let's talk about this season today because today Joe Burrow has two elite receiving options in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and he has a top-tier number two, in my opinion, in Boyd. And then you add into the fact that his tight end is going to get involved at all. Now you're literally looking at a situation where once this team spreads you out, what are you going to do? Because you have three great pass-catching options at the receiver position. He's getting his tight end involved. Mixon can catch the ball out of the backfield when he needs to. Mo, this offense is rounding into form at exactly the right time, middle of November. This is when the playoff picture starts to form a little bit. I know they're not in first place right now, but I'm – I think in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about Cincinnati as the team to beat in the AFC. They're not in first place right now, but it almost feels like they are. Almost. I mean, obviously, we know what the Ravens did, but when you look at that that elite core, like you said, they didn't even need Jamar Chase. And to, the, to Buffalo's credit, they did a really good job of disguising double-teaming him. But Joe Burrow recognized that immediately and said it's not going to be his day. He's going to spread it around. It was T. Higgins. It was Tyler Boyd. It was others. And that's the mark of a great quarterback, too. I know I have a a number one, a star receiver, if you will, but I don't have to force the football to him. I have other options. I have other playmakers. Like you said, T. Higgins has the ability to play at an elite level. Tyler Boyd, if he was a number two and they spread it out, he'd be probably a thousand yard receiver as well. Like they have that kind of talent. And you mentioned getting the tight ends involved. Yes, Mixon is a threat outside the backfield. He's very good in short yardage at the goal line. This team is rounding out on offense, but like I said as well, not a championship defense, not the kind of defense that's going to be remembered with the 85 Bears or the Giants or Ray Lewis's Ravens, but a defense that's very opportunistic and they can make plays when they need to. So give it a few weeks. I don't think they're going to go undefeated, but in the bigger picture, Throw out the the record. I'm looking at Cincinnati, and it would not shock me at the end of the day if, if they don't win the division, they'll be right there. They'll still be the biggest threat to me to Kansas City getting back um, to the conference championship game. I think so. Well, let's pivot here. We're going to bring JG on the show this morning. We got some major league baseball stuff JG. that I want to discuss. JG, it's always nice to have JG here on in the morning. Always. JG, welcome to the show, sir. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm doing good, guys. Good morning. How are y'all? Hey, morning, JG. JG, always, always a pleasure to have you here, sir. <clears throat> want to hit a couple of baseball topics with you. Obviously, the World Series is coming on, and we're going to start gearing up at different moments for different things that are going to be happening in the offseason. Let's start with some coaching news. It looks like the Angels are considering bringing aboard Buck Showalter uh, into the fold over there. We've talked about this before. Older coaches in a younger man's sport is the way we're trending to. But you talk a lot about the value of having a coach that's been around, that has a gut that they know how to use, uh, that isn't fully relying on new age analytics and things like that. Obviously, Buck did some decent things with the Mets 
overall probably didn't go the way he wanted it to go, but he's had success in this league before. What are your thoughts about him being amongst the finalists for the vacancy over there in the Angels, which, by the way, is not probably a team that is built up for success out of the gate. So, you know, it's interesting that Buck even kind of wants to open that door because, um, you know, usually managers, as they get later in their careers, they, they want a contender that they can kind of mold and kind of get a little <laughs> further. I, I don't think I can go as far as saying the Angels are even a potential playoff team uh, this upcoming season because who even knows who's still going to be on that team. But what are your thoughts about Buck and the Angels? I, I'm interested. I'm interested in why because this is not going to be the same Angels team that that you know. And and what I mean by that is is we're expecting Shohei Otani not to be in LA in 2024. And if that's the case too, you may not have Mike Trout in 2024 as well. So what is your foundation with the Angels for for an older manager? So you talk about older managers kind of coming into you know coming back into the game as a manager, Bruce Bochy doing it here in Texas, uh, you know, this year. But the difference was for Texas is they had a foundation set with Corey Seager, with Marcus Simeon. Adoles Garcia had good, uh, a good season in 2022 and took off in 2023. You brought in, you know, Jacob DeGrom, who, yeah, he didn't pitch much, but he provided a foundation. You brought in Nathan Evaldi. You bring, then you trade for Max Scherzer. Same thing about Scherzer with the ground. He didn't pitch much, but it provided the culture you know, that, was, that was being built and then was continued to be built in 2023 that all it needed was the manager to take it to that next level. The foundation was set. You can say the same thing for, you know, when we talked about Ron Washington with Houston. Well, the foundation's already set. You know, Dusty Baker stepped into a winning culture when he took over after the the the, uh, the sign stealing scandal, and he continued the culture of winning. Ron Washington, if he gets hired in Houston, it's about continuing the culture of winning. There is no culture of winning in the Angels right now, and you're going to lose your top player, possibly your top two players. So I don't understand the concept for Buck Showalter to sit here and say, this is the job that I'm interested. I'm going to be a finalist for I'm interested in because you're in the same position that you were in in New York. That was in a rebuilding position, you know? So I, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me about Showalter interested in this job. I think someone who, you know, for the angels, and I know I'm looking at an article right now, Darren Erstad has put his name in the, in that he's a angel legacy, uh, you know, a legacy angel, you know, spent a majority of his career, uh, with the Angels, build something with somebody who wants to be in L.A., who has ties to the uh, to the team, to the organization, and can make a commitment. And this is what's to the front office and to the ownership. Make a commitment saying, hey, Eric, you know, if it's whoever it is, we're going to give you four years. And I know that's so hard, you know, to, to do in sports now and in, in general all together is you're going to get time to rebuild. You know, it's, a, it's about now, now, now. You got to win now. But the Angels are not positioned to win now. They need to be able to position and build and rebuild for the next two, three, four years. So they need somebody who can be able to handle that and move forward. I don't know if Buck Showalter at this point, at this stage of his career, is interested in that. And, and I know he's kind of interested because he's put his name out there. But is he going to be the one that turns this around? And I don't think that's the case. I think they need to go somebody who has a legacy to the organization and the organization commits 
for years with and say, we're going to do what we can. We're going to make sure we get changes and we're going to provide you every resource you need to rebuild and turn this franchise around. Because right now we're talking about the Angels being a fourth place team in this division with the Rangers winning the World Series. We know the Astros are going to be competitive and the Seattle Mariners are going to be that in, the, in the thick of things as well with the wild card potentially in the division race, too. So. Angels are right now in a fourth-place team. Thankfully, the Oakland A's are in the same division with them. Otherwise, we're talking about the Angels possibly being a last-place team. So I, I'm not really sure on, uh, what Buck is seeing in the Angels, but you know, if he, it's something that he wants to continue and he thinks he can be the man for that job, then you know, possibly. Uh, in the chat, Gene mentioned that New York wasn't a rebuild. <laughs> it wasn't a rebuild to start. But New York was so bad, they became a rebuild Correct. midway through the season. They, <laughs> so. they committed They committed to a rebuild at the trade deadline. They committed to the rebuild at that point. They were not a rebuild. Gene, you're correct. They, when he took over, it wasn't a rebuild. It, it wasn't. But they failed. And I, that's not Buck's fault. I'm not putting it all on Buck. It was a whole lot more of the front office, uh, the front office's uh, mis, um, decisions. But when, when they committed to the rebuild, it was, all right, hey, we're going to move on. And Buck, I, I kind of felt like that where they're going to say, hey, you don't want to be part of this, Buck. You don't want to be part of this rebuild. And I felt Buck made the decision, too. He said, no, I don't want to be part of this. So I don't understand the concept of being part of another – being part of a, a team that is committed to a rebuild more likely if they lose Shohei and they're going to lose Mike Trout, too. We saw – so during the during the season, there was a trade in place that was going to ship Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez from Detroit over to the Dodgers, which it, most people looked at that and they're like, great for him, right? Getting out of Detroit and going to a potential division winner, a potential World Series contender in L.A., and he said, no, I'm going to use my no-trade clause. I, I don't want that move to happen. Um, it came out later about maybe he just didn't want to be in the West Coast Maybe L.A. wasn't his vibe. Well, he has turned down. He has opted out of his $49 million deal in Detroit. He had three years left on his deal. So now he is going to hit the market. So apparently it wasn't love for Detroit as much as it was, I just don't necessarily want to be a Dodger. Uh, what is the market for Eduardo Rodriguez as we head into free agency? <laughs> Well, the backstory on that, and, and he he did really good PR on denying this this story. But it's when the Red Sox, when he was with the Red Sox, they had there was an incident between him on the Red Sox with the Dodgers, and they kind of sour. And, and from what it sounded like, it soured his uh, his his, um, his love for the Dodgers. If you want to go in that direction, and he just he basically written off. He denied it good PR, but we all, and I've talked to some people who are close to the Red Sox organization as far as in the media side, and they go, yeah, hey, he is never going to play for the Dodgers. Now, they could write a check for him now as a free agent and say, hey, you know, we, we're sorry. Here's, you know, a lot of money. Maybe money always makes people talk, but at least at least for that trade deadline, that was a lot of the, what it was. It was a, there was that incident when he was with the Red Sox that, uh, that took place, and he, he soured on them. Uh, he's going to have a market. He's, he's one of the. He's going to be a top. Uh, one of the top uh, lefty pitchers in in the free agency. I, I think you know. Again, we don't have a lot of the big names in this free agent class as far as pitching wise. We don't. There's no Jacob Degrom. There's no uh, Verlander or Scherzer in this uh, in this uh, free agent class. You're going to have a lot of top, you know good pitchers. You're going to you know, but not anybody that you're going to sit here and say, hey, we're going to pay number one money for. 
And a water and water Rodriguez is kind of in that same boat. He's 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 a really good pitcher, a number two pitcher that you know that'll create that extra that extra depth that you know you can give him the ball and he's going to pitch his his ass off for you. Uh, but that's what this free agent class, for, at least for the pitching side, it's not going to be top dollar. You're not going to see a lot of 200 north of 250 to 300 million dollar contracts this free agency. You'll probably see. You know, in, for Eduardo, if I have to take a guess, I'm going to have to go back and look at the numbers as far as what the projections are for him. But you're probably going to see him be at 150 to 160, uh, $160 million deal for probably four years range. And, I, and it's still a lot of money. It's still really good money. He's not going to be hurting when it's all said and done. But he's not going to get the top dollar money, I think, uh, that, that we've seen pitchers get in past years. You might have a team that does overpay. And, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not forget about Blake Snell. And I know Gene's putting that out there, but, and that might be the only one who actually does get top dollar deal. But for Eduardo, he's going to get probably mid, middle to like two to three range, 150, 160 millions for four years. And it's still going to be, like I said, it's still good market, it's still going to be money. You may have a team that does overpay and try to get him for close to $200 million, but that's going to be the range for him. And you know, teams that need a lefty starter. Yeah, again, and that that part is what you want. You, you know, the lefty pitchers are you know are you know gold in baseball. Lefty pitchers that are good are absolutely you know are diamonds, and that's what you're going to see with you know again with Snell. You're going to get with Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, in this is that you're going to have a good market, but it's not going to be top dollar market for Rodriguez. One of the nuances of baseball that unless you're invested, you know, you don't really know people just kind of pop up and that is the foreign market when it comes to major league baseball. And every, every couple of years we, we get wind of a big name coming out of Japan and they're, they're going to get posted and everybody wants them. And then when your team doesn't get them, unless they become a phenom like Otani, you know, you may not necessarily hear, or follow up on that player again. Well, another one of those players who's coming down the pipe is Yamamoto. He is getting a lot of hype, JG, coming out of Japan. But other players have gotten a lot of hype coming out of Japan as well. Uh, there's a starting pitcher, I believe, for Chicago. There is a right fielder or an outfielder for Boston that got some hype coming over. Uh, but, you know, if you compare them to the bigger names that came out, Otani obviously being the biggest – uh, you can even go second tier a uh, uh, decade or so ago. You had a Deki Matsui come to the New York Yankees. He did some incredible things offensively for the Yankees uh, during his time here. They're not all guaranteed to be that. They're not all guaranteed to be, you know, a 35 home run guy like Matsui or a phenom that just changes the entire sport like Shohei Otani. So talk to me a little bit about Yamamoto coming over what is the hype compared to what you think he's actually going to be? What do you think he's going to affect? Who is even involved to potentially land him? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of buzz with Yamamoto, and there's been some comparisons with you know how he pitched in Japan to to Otani. You know, his last outing, he you know he threw 137 pitches, and, and you know it was just a dominant performance. 
what concerns me, and I've, and I've played with Japanese ball players before, and I've talked to them about uh, about the differences in the regimen of how they pitch in Japan to how we pitch here in the United States, where we in the United States pitchers pitch every five days, and we have pitch counts, and we you know we shut down a couple of days. Pitchers will not throw for two days, get a bullpen session, and then they they're 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 putting themselves ready to pitch on that fifth day. Japan they pitch every six days. And they don't stop throwing. So they pitch. They they pitch the. Uh, they have their game. They pitch the next day. They they still do a long toss throwing session. They'll do a light, you know, a flag round pitching session day two. They're doing a bullpen session day three. Bullpen session. There's no rest for them because they're they, they they train their body in such a way that it's so different. That's why when you got you do have pitchers that come to the United States or from Japan, their injuries do come up a little bit more. You have pitchers that have the arm injuries a little bit because the, how they use them in Japan is so different how we or how we use them and how we use our pitchers here in the United States. And it definitely it's just it's it's tough for them to kind of get a little bit of a difference from there. So it, there's there's always concerns for for Japanese pitchers with injuries. Again, we just saw Shohei Otani with an UCL injury. We've seen Yu Darvish have uh, arm injuries. We saw uh, Kenshin Kawakami. Guys, um, K. Matsuzaka, guys, you know, Japanese pitchers have come through here and have a lot of arm injuries throughout their career at some point. So there's always a concern for that. Again, it, it, you could say the same thing for American pitchers. I'm not sitting here saying Japanese pitchers are only going to have the injuries because of how we do things. But there is a difference in how they handle that and everything. So that is always a concern how they use, how they be able to use. But the hype is real for you. you know, I, wanted to, I wanted to be able to say that for. Yosha Nobu Yamamoto. I always wanted to say the first name and everything, but I think I did pretty good on it. But Yamamoto is going to have a lot of hype coming in because of just how dominant he's been with a 182 career ERA. Uh, you know, in Japan, he hit a 70 and 29 record. I mean, that I means he's he's the real deal pitching wise. Is he Shohei Otani? I don't know that part yet. I, I won't sit here and say that I know that that that's where he is. You know, we we could could he be a Daisuke Matsuzaka? Yeah, and I think people are going to be very happy about Dice K. Could be you, Darvish. Yeah, and I think people are going to be very happy to have in that aspect of. So, you know, where's the ceiling at? You know, I would say between you, Darvish, and Shohei. I think that's where he's going to be. And again, that's really good, really good. And you're going to have a really good career if that's the case for him. You know, the uh, Dodgers are always interested in Japanese ball players and always interested in top of the uh, line. We've we've seen the Boston Red Sox are interested, and I think that'd be an intriguing excuse me, an intriguing uh, pairing because of the history. And you always talk about history with, you know, Japanese ballplayers with teams who have had Japanese ballplayers in their past. You know, again, we talked about Matsuzaka uh, uh, for, for uh, Boston, Hideo Nomo in the Asian, uh, with his, uh, in the Asian ties for the LA Dodgers, you know, Ichiro uh, in, in Seattle, you know, Angels with Oshoei. So you always got to look at the tie-in of who, you know, the, the history and where the comfortability of Japanese ballplayers is going to be. You go to the Yankees as well uh, with, with Hideki Matsui. Uh, so you have to look at an aspect of, of that side. But I think the Boston Red Sox are going to be a team that's going to push very hard. LA Dodgers, especially with the pitching that they don't have right now, and they're not going to have much of in the season. We don't know about Kershaw's status. Gonsolin's going to be missing majority of the season next year because of his uh, Tommy John. Well, ha they'll have Bueller back, but there's still so many you know, question marks for the pitching staff that I think they're going to look and try to get Yamamoto pretty hard and be, and put him in that rotation and just try to expand what they can. So I'd say the Dodgers and the Red Sox will be the two teams to beat for Yamamoto in the bidding war for him. JG, always a pleasure to have you on here. Before you get out of here, Monday night football predictions. You give it to us every Monday. Who do you like in tonight's game? 
Monday night. Tell me again. I'm, I'm a bit away for who's who's playing on Monday night tonight. Uh, I believe we got Chargers and Jets tonight. Okay, that's why I, I, I couldn't remember it was if it was Chargers Jets. Uh man, I, I I've been impressed with the Jets right now and just being able to hang around and and. and there was so much talk about, you know, Zach Wilson was just being, you know, was going to be th- – it seemed like at one point Zach Wilson was going to be grabbed by the neck and thrown out of the Jets' locker room by some of the players and how they've rallied around him a little bit just and they've you know, basically have told him, just don't be stupid and don't lose us again. And so far he's done pretty well. I, I, I've been really impressed right now just how, how he's been able how, to win the locker room back over, which is very hard to do in sports. If you lose the locker room at one point, you don't normally get your get the locker room back on your side. He's done that so far, and a lot of and again, it might have been just you know by fire with Robert Sala just kind of staying the course, believing in Zach and speaking the way out publicly, and kind of soured a lot of uh, of what you know a lot of the team uh, on Wilson. But he has done a lot to earn the respect of that locker room back. So very impressive with that. I do think though that. that it, I know the Chargers have been kind of a up and down still, and that's just been their history with Brandon Staley as the coach. Is they've been up and they had moments where they look really good, and they have moments where they look really, you know, bad. And you know, the, not being a playoff team at times, but they look like they're one of the best offenses and the best teams in the NFL. I, I don't really know where to go with this, so I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm gonna take a chance. I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm gonna take the Jets tonight because I think there's a little bit more belief right now. With how that defense is playing, the defense is playing phenomenal still. I do, and I think that this team is just going to continue to to try to feed belief into Zach Wilson. Just don't be stupid. Don't do this. Don't don't make boneheaded decisions. Play smart. Be who you're supposed to be. Don't be Aaron Rodgers. We don't need you to be Aaron Rodgers. Just be Zach Wilson. Move the ball when we need you. Hand it off to Brees Hall. Hand it off to Cook when he gets his chance. But let the guys just be be who they are. And let your defense help you out there. So I'm going to go with the Jets to to pull off the win over the uh, L.A. Chargers tonight. All right, JG, we appreciate you as always. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for stopping by today, JG. As always, guys, appreciate it. So Mo JG brings up a great point. If if the Jets and let's be honest, you know the Chargers, who who the hell knows what what you're going to get from the Chargers week to week? I'm talking offensively and defensively. You really don't know. So, although I have more faith in Herbert than I do Zach Wilson, and we'll, we'll pick this game later on, but if you just look at the Jets' next two games, Chargers, Raiders, those aren't, those aren't monster games. Those are winnable games, Mo. If the Jets win both of those games, they're 6-3. and three. Like, the New York Jets without Aaron Rodgers – are six and three heading into the Bills and the Dolphins, which will obviously shape the division. Uh, depending if you know if they lose both those games, it's going to hurt their chances. They win both those games, it's probably going to catapult them into a solid spot to win that division. But Mo, we shouldn't be talking about this. Their season was supposed to be over after Aaron Rodgers. So the fact that they're sitting at four and three with a chance to get to five and three before they play a Raiders team. And then we could be talking six and three. I mean, I know things can turn quickly. A blowout tonight drops them to four and four. If that carries over and they lose to the Raiders, now they're under 500 and things can go really south really quick. But at least for right now, heading into tonight, Mo, it's looking okay in New York. They're finding ways to win football games. 
And and more importantly, uh, to JG's credit, he's right. Zach Wilson is not making the big turnover. Um, Zach Wilson is playing within his own skill set. I'm looking at these two teams. One team has found a way to win football games. The other goes out of its way to find a way to lose football games. No, and that, that's literally where we are with these two teams. We're going to take a quick break, Mo. When we come back here on Coffee and Sports, we're going to talk a little NBA real quick. Uh, a, a team that has not looked good finally got themselves a win. So let's celebrate that a little bit and kind of figure out what their future looks like for the next few weeks while they're waiting for their all-star to return. And then we're going to get back to the NFL, and we're going to talk some more acceptance. And we're going to do all of that right on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. It's Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Hey, y'all. I'm Keith. And I'm Jory. And tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network. And don't forget, also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions. Uh, so tune in. Welcome back. It's Coffee and Sports. It is Everybody's the morning show music. with Chris and Mo. Right? I know. We, we every, got to get every, some of that. We got to get some kind of music because everybody's got some music. Come on. I know. We, we got we got to figure that out. I'll, I'll put our guy. I don't know who our guy is, but I'll put our guy to work <laughs> on that. Our guy. <laughs> Mo, let's talk real quick. NBA, let's talk about the Grizzlies. Uh, the first six games, it wasn't. It wasn't fun if you were a Memphis fan, but we knew we we knew they were going to struggle. Um, while there were twenty five games, is the suspension for John Morant, so we, we knew it was going to be a struggle at times. The question was, what was this team going to look like after twenty five games, and were they going to be in a spot to potentially salvage the season just to get into the playoffs, whether it be the playing game or whether it be in the actual playoffs. Because when, when your all-star, when your superstar is going to miss 25 games, that, that's what you're looking at, right? What you're looking at is can we survive that enough to where a team that was a top seed the past couple of seasons isn't wasting a season and not making the playoffs at all. So they start off 0-6. You're like, damn, this is, it's rough. It's rough without, without your best player out there. Uh, they finally get off the losing schneid. But, Mo, let's be honest, this this isn't a great team without him, and they're definitely not playing well without him. Where do you think we're going to be come game 26 when he's ready to return? Is this going to be a team that is going to have enough time left? Are they going to be in too big of a hole to make a push for the playoffs? Is, is he? How is he? We don't even know how he's going to play when he comes back. That's the other thing we're not talking about. We, we assume he's just going to be great out of the gate but it might take him five or six games to kind of get his legs under him. And now you're basically like, well, we were 30 games essentially without him. I mean, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to ask, but what, what do you see for this team going forward? You bring up a good point also too. We don't know how he's going to play and we don't know how he's going to behave because he's still a young man. And how do we know that he still doesn't have a resentment towards the league for his suspension, Right. So that that could impact him as well. But I'm looking at the Grizzlies, and what I was concerned with about them coming into the season was, in the NBA, two things you must have. Shooting, and you must have guys who can create off the dribble for others. And minus John Morant, they don't have anybody. Marcus Smart is not somebody can break somebody down in an ISO situation to create for people. Um, Desmond Bain is a good scorer, but he's not terrific in one-on-one. He doesn't create for others. 
I've watched their games. The truth of the matter is their best creator is past his prime Derrick Rose. They weren't planning on using him as much, but Derrick Rose is their best player when it comes to creating for himself and others. I think they've dug a deep hole. They're going to definitely be well below 500 when Morant comes back. Do they have a chance to get back into it? In the Western Conference, in a tight West, it, it's going to be a chore. It, it's it's going to be a challenge. But if Ja comes out and he plays lights out and the other guys, because when he comes back, he also puts the guys in their proper position. Rose becomes a sixth or seventh man. Marcus Smart is a starter, but he's really a, a, a two-guard more than he is a point guard. He's not a shooter per se, but he's more of a two-guard than a point. And, and let's not forget, Stephen Adams being out for the rest of the season, that will impact him, obviously. He is their anchor defensively in the middle. He's a double-double guy, and he's gone, which means Jaron Jackson Jr. has to play more center. He's not good at the center position. He's not good straight up guarding bigs. He is terrific as a weak side defender. So I, I just think this might be this might be a very tough struggle, a lost season for them. I don't want to go as far to say they won't make the playoffs, but if they do make the playoffs, their coach should get play, coach of the year. He really should because they're, they're going to be in a deep hole by the time John Morant comes back. And before we go back to the uh, the NFL, Mo, a lot a lot of chest puffing out there in Boston after the Celtics five and zero start. Obviously, you want to get a hot start out of the gate. It kind of helps if things cool off later on in the long season that is the NBA season. Talk to me a little bit about the Celtics start. Is this really who they are? Are they really going to be the number one seed? Because, you know, we, we got a couple of other teams out there in the East. We do. You know, we in the do. Milwaukee Bucks that are, you know, saying this is their territory. Uh, and, again, you know, once the playoffs start, whether you're the one, two, or three seed, a lot of that goes out the window. It doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, but talk to me a little bit about the Celtics and their hot start. Um, I, I'm not surprised by it at all. And the truth of the matter is, Przingis has been everything projected to be a five that can take other fives away from the basket because of his shooting. He gives them the perfect outlet and pressure release for Brown and Tatum. Drew Holiday has been steady. The way they've played Holiday or the way he's played, he's not looking for his offense as much. He and Derek White are locking down defensively. But I'm looking at this team and, and, and what I led with with the Grizzlies, they're the opposite. Brown is not great off the dribble, but he's he's terrific if he does a straight line attack. Tatum could create for himself. White can create for himself. Same for Drew Holiday. They have multiple guys that can get their own shot and get opportunities for others. My only concern with the Celtics is what will they be come playoff time? Because we've seen them be very good in the regular season, Chris, and then they get to the playoffs and first round, no problem. Second round, and then they get stumped. They seem to have a, a an odd ceiling. But I, I'm looking at this team, barring injury, I do think this is the best team in the Eastern Conference. Sorry, Milwaukee fan. I, I, and I've also seen Milwaukee play. The Dame Giannis domination thing, that, that hasn't kicked in yet. That hasn't kicked in yet. Milwaukee's actually ranked near the bottom defensively. And I didn't think they would be that bad defensively minus Drew Holiday. Mind you, we're five games into the season. And in the NBA, you need at least 25 games to really know what your team is. But I think going forward, the East is still a three-team race, right? We're talking Milwaukee. We're talking Boston. 
I guess you could throw Philly in there. Look, Philly is better by default by getting rid of a certain someone, right? We, we all would agree with that. And if Daryl Morey is the general manager that everybody says he is, he will take those assets that he got from the James Harden trade and he will turn that into a third 20-point score to go along with Embiid and Ty- uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey. That would be the smart move because everybody has a timeline. Joel Embiid is 29 years old. He wants to win a title. He wants to be competing for titles. You're on his timeline. You have to make moves for right now. Speaking of James Harden, he is going to make his long-awaited, much-anticipated Clippers debut this week. Well, realistically, what are we expecting from Harden his first handful of games as a Clipper? Um, I think it's fair to say that he may not have put in the most work during the offseason as he was stuck in Philly. Uh, He also hasn't been around the Clippers for a particularly long time. And we don't know what it's going to look like when his star uh, merges with the the star power of the other two stars that are already on that team. And let's be honest, you know, their stars don't really talk much. So we don't really know how they even feel about having Harden over there. Correct. So what what are you thinking we're going to see from Harden his first couple of games with the Clippers? All jokes aside, he is he's a, he's a baller. He's a natural basketball player. And immediately, he's the best passer, best shot creator on that team. Immediately. So what he will do is he will get them in their best positions. He will get the ball to them in their better in their sets. What they lack is a natural point guard. Russ Russ can rack up numbers left and right, and he is terrific when he can, he can get downhill and attack the basket and then dish to others. But what Harden can do is, in late-game situations, he can get them into their best spots. So I don't know if his debut will be spectacular, but I think in the longer run, in the bigger picture, he's a a good fit for what they need because what, what they need was a natural point guard. The question is, can he be content with being a point guard or will old James come back in and, and, and want to go shot hunting? Because I will say this, Clipper fans, his debut or his season with you, you better hope it's better than that introduction point, that, that introductory press conference because that was awful. That was bad. If that's, if that's what you're looking at, if Ty Lu signed up for that guy, that's not good. That's not good at all. Like you said, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard aren't very vocal, but I have to believe they were watching that going like, this guy, this guy's coming. So I I, I think he can help them, but it really depends on his mindset. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to get into more NFL, breaking down everything that took place in week nine and continuing our talk about acceptance. Uh, It's going to happen on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Hey, guys, it's Pavel the Cat. And Evan Rev Runners. And we are two guys in Hockey Talk. We are here every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to talk all things hockey. What are we talking about, Evan? We talk KHL, AHL, ETHL, every HL hockey league you can think about, prospects, juniors, even the professional women's hockey league. Yeah, we love it. And we have a website, Two Guys in Hockey Talk. So give us a follow. we got articles on all things related to hockey. And we're writing all throughout the season. So make sure you're tuning in. We're also on X or Twitter. Uh, you can find me at hockey underscore two. And you can follow me at Revan M. Or you can also go to 
Guys and HockeyTalk.com to follow everything. We love hearing from you guys, so make sure you tune in, comment, like, give us a follow on our Facebook and YouTube page. We love hearing from you guys, and it's a blast talking all things hockey. Right, Evan? Hey, man, it is. So, as we say every show, in the meantime and in between time. Keep your sticks on the ice. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome back. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. I am Chris, and that is Mo. And Mo, we talked earlier in the show about excitement, and we talked about how we are halfway through the NFL season, and we have reached the point where you can start labeling teams for what they are. It doesn't mean they're stuck in that. It doesn't mean they can't achieve things outside of their label, but you start looking at teams and you're saying, more often than not, this is the expectation even though the ceiling might be a little bit higher. We started with Buffalo Bills. We said that Buffalo can still get to a Super Bowl. If they were to get to a Super Bowl this year, no one would be shocked or surprised. But what Buffalo has become is an inconsistent offensive team that if they don't get off to a fast start in the first half, they are most likely going to lose the game because they're showing that they don't have the ability to necessarily overcome those things in the second half. They've also shown that there is still two run heavy with Josh Allen, and they are overall too reliant on Josh Allen for their success to the point where it's becoming a detriment to their team. That is Buffalo. It's not all bad. There's good things still happening in Buffalo, but Buffalo fans need to start accepting what their team is. If you shift over to the Miami game and the Kansas City Chiefs, the narrative going in was that Miami hasn't beat a good team this season. If you look at the records, that's a fair statement. They haven't beat anyone with a record over 500. That has now held true. Miami is 0-3 against teams that are over 500. They are 6-0 against teams that are under 500. Does that mean Miami is not a playoff team? No. Miami still has one of the best offenses in the league, and their schedule is not filled with a bunch of teams over 500 for the rest of the season. So if they hold true to that, Mo, they are probably still going to find themselves in the playoffs. Now, obviously, if you can't beat a team over 500, you're not going very far in the playoffs. But if you're a Dolphin fan, until Miami proves that they can beat a team that is considered to be a playoff team, you have to wonder how good are the Dolphins truly. Now, I will say this if you're a Dolphin fan. They played well against the Chiefs in the second half. First half was absolute garbage. The defense overall played well against the Chiefs. The Miami Dolphins defense held the Chiefs to 14 points. That makes us shift over to the conversation about the Chiefs, Mo. The Chiefs need to accept they're not an elite offense this season. They're a good offense. They have the potential to do great things with Patrick Mahomes. But, Mo, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Dolphins don't have a great defense. They have an average defense that I think is getting better as they are getting healthier but this was a situation where you take out the uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown from Tyreek uh, late in the second quarter. This might be a different game because it, it's not a situation where in the second half, you know, the Chiefs were up by five touchdowns and they took their gas, their foot off the pedal. Miami scored midway through the third quarter, got it down to a two score game. Miami scored again in the third quarter, got it down to a one score game. The Chiefs needed offense. The Chiefs needed offense to kind of put that game away. 
ultimately their defense was able to stop Miami twice late in the game to do that. But Mo, is it fair to say this is kind of where we are with the Kansas City offense? They're good. They have the ability to be great. It was awesome to see them spread the ball around yesterday. It was awesome to see, you know, Travis Kelsey have a down game and then the offense still find a way to score touchdowns and the offense still find a way to get other people involved. But at the same time, I'm not going to say that this current Kansas City offense can be what Buffalo can be or can be what Cincinnati can be because they don't have the firepower to do that. They can at times, but overall, Mo, let's, let's, let's be accepting. It's an above average offense. It's above average offense because they have a great elite quarterback mm, for sure. and a great all-time tight end. But the offense as a whole is not a great offense. And when I watched the game yesterday, I thought Patrick Mahomes played a smart game. I thought his plan was not just to spread the ball around. It was to purposely throw those short intermediate routes because he was playing the clock game. He was playing the, 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 the possession game. He knew he couldn't get into a shootout with Miami. That's being smart. That's knowing what you are, knowing what you have, and trying to con- – and they did a good job. They actually controlled the clock. They eked their way through first down after first down, and they ate away a lot of the time of possession. And I give them credit for that. that that's your great quarterback knowing what we are and knowing what we don't want to do. That's game planning. That's film study. The whole works. Um, and – he, he has to spread it around because I, I really think he goes back on every play thinking first guy gets open. I'm throwing the ball because they don't get open that often. Right. And so, so they spread the ball around. They're still waiting for Sky Moore to emerge. I think they need to stop waiting. I, I, I think Sky Moore is what he is. He's a he's probably a four at best. Uh, that's just the way it is. The kid writes has potential. He's got some talent. He's got some talent. Overall, though, like you said, it's it's an average offense. And yet you think Patrick Mahomes is going to take this average offense and they're going to still have a legit shot to get to the AFC title game. Some way, somehow, some way. The defense will be just good enough and the offense will find a way. Uh, that's, That's a weird thing. But at the same time, that's about Mahomes and that's about Andy Reid. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday. Uh, Another one of those spectacular games. We had four great games on the slate. Uh, The only one that didn't really live up to the hype was the Ravens game as they absolutely blew the Seahawks out of the water. Oh, oh. But the the other games, for the most part, lived lived up to their hype, and they were were competitive. Uh, But again, let's talk about acceptance this morning, okay? And we're going to start with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles are a good team. Philadelphia Eagles are, I would probably say, the best team in the NFC. I, I, I always stick to the fact that I think defensively, them and San Francisco are pretty much on par, but the difference is the quarterback. Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. No question. At the same time, I also think the Philadelphia Eagles are a team that are going to give other teams an opportunity to win games. The question is, can the other teams actually do it? The Eagles should not have been in that close of a game late. They had a late turnover that allowed Dallas to get back into the game after Dallas had a chance to drive before to come down and try to take the lead as well. Had two shots. They couldn't do it. Before we get to Dallas, Philly plays a lot of close games. 
Philly has untimely turnovers. They had it against Miami as well, the pick six. That could have turned the game, but it didn't. So I credit Philly because although they opened the door more than I think they should when it comes to turnovers. Gene, did they not fumble the ball late in the game for Dallas? Oh, the punt. Yeah, it was a punt. Either way, that shouldn't have happened. Those are miscues. Those are those are miscues that the Eagles need to stop making. So I lost my train of thought. Gene, Gene got me all wild in the comments there. My point is that if Philly is going to give teams an opportunity to hang around games and to win games, those teams have to do it. And those teams haven't done it against Philly. So props to Philly for doing that. Now let's talk about Dallas. Dallas needs to, like Miami, needs to beat good teams. Dallas needs to show that they can be a contender. Dallas struggles to do that. Dak Prescott struggles to do that. And yesterday was another example. Dallas had the ball twice late in the final minutes of that game with a chance to take a win from Philly, Mo, and they couldn't do it. Now, the reason they couldn't do it is Philly has an, an amazing defense, 100%. and Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. Let's let's be honest. Like the, When you have an elite defense and you have a quarterback that's not elite, more times than not, the defense wins that. And that's what we saw late in that game with Dallas and Philly. Philly's defense is elite, and I know Dak has had success against the Philly defense in the past, but it doesn't change the talent on that side of the ball. And it doesn't change what Dak Prescott is. And that's what Dallas Cowboy fan need to accept. Dak is an above average quarterback, 100%. But until he starts beating the Eagles or the 49ers, Mo, what is he really? A third or fourth place quarterback in the NFC? Dak Prescott is just good enough as a quarterback, as a leader of your football team. He's just good enough to break your heart. That he he's that guy. He's snake bitten. Look, I, I would I would argue for the better part of the second half, he might have played as good as I've ever seen him play in that big a game. And yet when they needed him, you needed that one more play, that that last drive, that, that they couldn't make it happen. And it's not all on him. Like you said, credit the Philly defense for being timely and getting big stops and getting big sacks. That's what they do. Look, Philly isn't playing at the optimum level on both sides of the football. But what I would say to their credit, and, I, and I've said it all season long, damn if they don't find a way to win football games. And I know mm -hmm. that's a dangerous way to live, but it, it, in the end, it is about winning football games, and that's what they do. This, we talked about it. Dallas seems to find a way to lose big football games. It's, and let's, it's, let's not get confused. This There's a difference between what Philly is doing and what the Jets are doing. The oh, yeah. Jets are finding ways to win, just like Philly is. The difference is Philly is elite. Philly has Agreed. a top-tier quarterback. They have an elite wide receiver. They have the two probably best lines. And if they're not the best lines, they're the top three lines on both sides of the football. They have an elite defense. So there's there's a difference. Like I feel like sometimes when you say Philly's finding a way to win, you you're kind of discrediting them a little bit. And you look at a team like the Jets where we say the same thing about it. And make no mistake, we are not saying the Jets and Philly 
are in the same boat at all. Not at not at all. Philly is a Super Bowl contender and a Super Bowl favorite. But Mo, to your point, the NFL is it's closer than than people realize. And if you look at it, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but if you were to take all nine weeks worth of scores, you're gonna find a lot of one score games in there. You're gonna find a lot of games where things were still up in the air in the fourth quarter. The great teams like Philly find ways to win those games. And that's who they are. That's their identity. And that's what I think Philly fans on this morning of acceptance, that's what they need to accept. Because I talked to some Philly fans and they, they want to talk about how they're going to blow teams out by 20 points and that they're this epic offense and that they're just going to come out there and just destroy. That's not who Philly is. Like, look, look, look at the games they've played. Do they have the ability, Mo, to hang a 40 spot on a team? Sure. Do they oh, have yeah. the ability to win by three scores? They absolutely do. But that's not who they are. They are a great team that plays close games, that wins most of the games they play. And, Mo, isn't that okay? Look, the goal is to win the game, and that's what Philly does. If they're not, they're not uh, the, NFC, the defending NFC champions by accident. And right now they have the best record of football. That's not by accident as well. They are the best team in the NFC right now. Hands down, hands down. All right, we're, we're, we're running up against time. Let's get our Monday night picks in there. We got the Chargers and the Jets tonight. I, I, I'm going Chargers. I, I don't think – I know the Jets' defense is elite. I just don't think they're going to be able to stop Herbert the entire night. And I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. If they if they score a pick six and the defense starts scoring, it might be different. But I think Herbert can put up 21 points on this Jets defense. I don't know if the Jets can score 21 points. So I'm taking the Chargers. I think it's going to be a 21-17. I'm going to go Jets. I think Brees Hall rushes for over 100 yards. And I think Zach Wilson does just enough. All right. Shout out to everyone who was in the comments this morning. We appreciate all of you. Mo, close us out, sir. Appreciate everybody for all the support. Check out all the content that we have up on the uh, on the site at Sports Empire Network. Appreciate you guys. Check out the Empire. Hey, make sure you come back. Same time, same place tomorrow. It's Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. And we will see you tomorrow morning breaking down everything that happened in Monday Night Football. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, from Brooklyn. Hey, guess it is.